0: The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network.
1: As God's people, how about we start lighting some holy fires across America? It's
2: time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown, your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866 34 Truth to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown.
1: It is time to have your hearts stirred afresh. That's what I'm here to do. Your friendly voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity, Michael Brown. Delighted to have this time with you and ready to encourage you and infuse you with faith and truth and courage. We need courage today. We need faith today. We need truth today. And that's what we have in God. Everything we need is found in him. Every resource. All the wisdom, all the connections, all the finances, all the favor, all the methods, everything we need is found in him. And that's why we point all attention to Jesus the Lord. Here's the number to call if you want to weigh in on the conversation today. Or if you'd like to ask me any question about anything that's on your mind, I'm going to take some calls random a little later in the show, 866-348-7884, 866 truth is the number to call. Over the weekend, as I was spending a lot of time before the Lord, my heart was freshly stirred about a theme that has been burning in me for more than 20 years, namely the theme of Jesus' revolution, by which I mean Jesus radically changes us And then as we are changed, we have a life-changing impact on the world around us. Jesus was not just a religious teacher, but he was a revolutionary, not in worldly terms, not fighting violence with violence, not fighting hatred with hatred, not trying to overthrow an earthly government. He was a much more radical revolutionary, fighting with the weapons of love and self-sacrifice and the cross and the power of the spirit and divine truth. But he taught us to pray, your kingdom come. That is a revolutionary prayer. Why? Because it means that the earthly kingdoms will ultimately be supplanted by his kingdom. And it means that every day as we preach the gospel to the lost, as we seek to make disciples, as we seek to live as disciples, every single day we are living as revolutionaries, advancing another kingdom. That's why the gospel is is such a threat to totalitarian regimes, because they want the total allegiance of their people and they want their kingdom to be dominant. And we are preaching another kingdom. Remember the accusation against Paul and his friends in, in Acts, the 17th chapter in Thessalonica, troublemakers brought false accusations against them but they said, these are the ones that are subverting the world. They are turning the world upside down in the famous di- uh, diction of the King James. Yeah, they're turning the world upside down and they're preaching another Lord, Jesus, rather than Caesar as Lord. Now remember, if you lived in ancient Rome, the emperor was worshiped as God and you needed to profess your allegiance to Caesar as Lord. And Christians could not do that. They would honor Caesar. They would give to Caesar what belonged to Caesar They would give to Rome what belonged to Rome. They would be exemplary citizens in terms of being law-abiding with good families, paying their taxes, etc. But their ultimate allegiance was to Jesus. And this was now put in such a way that they were preaching a competing kingdom. There was truth to it, but there was falsehood to it. They were not troublemakers. They were not teaching people to hate Caesar or rebel against Caesar. But they were saying one Lord only, Jesus. So... We also are called to have a revolutionary impact in the world, not by being troublemakers, not by being agitators in a fleshly carnal sense, not by physically setting cities on fire, but we should be setting cities on fire with the gospel, spiritually speaking. We should be igniting a firestorm of, of transformation through the gospel. And as we stand for truth, and as we stand against the darkness and let our light shine, there will be confrontation. We will be hated. We will not be the ones taking up the sword, but the sword will be taken up against us. We will be hated and rejected and reviled. That will naturally happen to us as followers of Jesus. As we are bridge builders and peacemakers, we will be accused of being troublemakers. But, but here's the thing, we cannot just sit back in our lovely Christian corner and have our beautiful services and our lovely devotions at home and try to keep ourselves out of trouble and keep our kids away from bad influences, we can't just do that. We are called to go. We are called to speak. We are called to act. We are called to be difference makers. And that's why I say, let's go light some holy fires across the nation. You say, what do you mean? Let me say again. I do not mean physical confrontation. I do not mean violence. God forbid. I do not mean being agitators and following in the footsteps, say, of Antifa. The exact opposite. But the gospel is incendiary. See, these things are are so superficial, so fleshly, so ineffective. You're going to scream in the streets. You're gonna burn a building down. That, that is so childish. However, when you stand for truth, when you swim against the tide, when you go against the grain, when you risk your reputation, your career, to do what's right, when you refuse to play games with darkness and shine brightly instead, oh, then, then we're making a difference. And that's how change came in the early church. Not by dominance, not by taking over, not by wielding a sword, but by serving and loving, and speaking the truth and being sacrificial and, and operating in the power of the spirit. That's how lives were changed. Now, let me remind you of the world in which we live today. And, and then let me tell you exactly what I mean by lighting some holy fires. This is from MTV's VMA Awards that get as raunchy and fleshly and carnal and even demonic as anything you could imagine on major TV. So this is a gentleman named Billy Eichner, and he's talking about a new movie that he wants everyone to support. Now, I, I'm playing this clip just so you can hear the crowd, realize probably millions of people watching this on TV, and get a feel for how many in our society are thinking these days. Let's listen.
3: What's up, MTV? Now, listen up. Some of you know me as Billy on the street, (laughs) but on September 30th, I have a movie coming out called Bros. is making history as the first gay rom-com ever made by a major studio and the first where every role is played by an openly LGBTQ actor right and I need you all there in theaters on September 30th because we need to show all the homophobes like Clarence Thomas and all homophobes on the supreme court that we want gay love stories and we support lgbtq people and we are not letting them drag us back into the last century because they are in the past and bros is the future are you with me bma
1: all right so i never heard of billy eichner before that clip that i saw yesterday I don't know who Billy on the street is. However, millions of people know who he is. Millions of young people know who he is, know who Billy on the street is, and they're with him. They are cheering him on. The culture has shifted dramatically. The Supreme Court, Clarence Thomas, those that that voted rightly or, or ruled rightly in key issues in recent years, they are the homophobes. They are of the past. So... This is the reality. More of the same on the church's end is not gonna cut it. You say, didn't you say that yesterday? Yes, and the day before that, the day maybe not in so many words, but I've been saying it over and over for many, 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 many years. And look, I know things in my own life that I wanted to see change. For for example, when I I was overweight, wanted to to see change there or, or, or get rid of some unhealthy habits like being a chocoholic and stuff. I tried the same thing for years and years and years and years and years, and it did more. Oh, it's different this time. That's just self-deception. It's only when I made radical, revolutionary changes with God's help and with Nancy's help that my life was dramatically transformed. It's going to be the same in the church. Oh, tomorrow we—tomorrow won't be any different, and society is only going to get worse. You said, "Well, then we're out of here any moment. Jesus has come." I've been hearing that for over fifty years. And he hasn't come yet. He hasn't returned yet, which means let's do what we are called to do while we are here. Okay, this is the world in which we live today. I say these things not to attack those who identify as LGBTQ. Jesus died for them, or if that's you, for you, the same as me. He shed the same blood. We are all created in God's image, all fallen, all needing a redeemer. I'm simply illustrating the degree to which our society has Shift it. So look, look, at, look at this. This is just from an article that I saw online. A 10-year-old child, the world's youngest transgender model, lives with her transgender mother and her mother's trans partner and is set to undergo surgery at age 16. Irreversible surgery. Let, let, let me read this again. And presumably she's on hormone blockers to stop the onset of puberty already which will will have a lifelong effect on her. Let me read it again. A 10-year-old child, the world's youngest transgender model, lives with her transgender mother and her mother's trans partner and is set to undergo surgery at age 16. Do you think perhaps, possibly, could it be that this young lady is confused, that this 10-year-old girl is as confused as she is because of the environment in which she has lived? or been raised or what she has been exposed to. But this is the madness of our society. This is the insanity of our world. And the world is not holding back. The world is full out aggressive. It's time for us as God's people to not hold back, but not to fight the way the world fights, to do what God's given us to do. Let's talk about this we come back. How can you, how can I light a holy fire in the world in which we live, in the places that God has given us, the spheres of influence? What can we do? We'll tackle it up when we come back.
2: the line of fire with your host Dr. Michael Brown get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH here again is Dr. Michael Brown
1: welcome back to the line of fire Michael Brown delighted to be with you if you'd like to chat with me as we change uh, subjects a little later in the show give me a call 866-348-7884 often Thirdly Jewish Thursday we get a ton of Jewish related calls Friday Phone lines can often be flooded. So we try to open the phones for random calls other times of the week as well. 866-34-TRUTH. Have you signed up yet for our Israel trip May 2023? Not hype things. Seating really is limited. We have a cutoff point as to how many we're bringing along with us. So if you haven't signed up yet, go to the website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Check out the info there. Also... You can still get an advanced copy of the political seduction of the church, a signed numbered copy from the first printing at our website. But I think we we extend that offer to the end of this week. And I think that's it. So go to AskDrBrown.org, same website. All the info is there. Okay, so I'm always praying about God opening new doors for us to reach more people. God enabling us to have a greater impact on more people. Uh, I'm asking him to sharpen the words that I speak, to deepen the words that I speak, to make me more and more like his son, to empower me more and more by his spirit, and to amplify this voice more and more across the nation, across the world. I'm thankful for every door that God's open. I'm thankful for every platform that I have, but it's a constant prayer because the burden in me is very intense that the Lord would be glorified, his people edified, and the nation and the nations shaken for the glory of God that ultimately Israel saved. So I burn with that day and night. However, however, what I am responsible for right now is the platforms that I have, the open doors that I have, the spheres of influence that I have. That's, that's what I'm responsible for now. That's what lies before me. That's what I have opportunity to, to use. Jesus says, if you're faithful in little, then you'll be trusted with much. If you're faithful with earthly riches, then he'll entrust you with spiritual riches. If you're faithful with that which belongs to someone else, he'll entrust you with that which belongs to yourself. That's all found in Luke the 16th chapter. So I'm very conscious of that. And it's a question I ask myself, okay, with the spheres of influence I have, the schools where I teach, the doors that we have on radio, TV, platforms we have on social media, materials that we have out, how can I, for his glory, have the greatest impact? What can what can I do in these spheres? The people that I know. All right, so you may have a sphere of influence that's 10 times bigger than me or 10 times smaller. That's that's all immaterial. The the material is are we faithful in what we have? So when I speak of lighting a holy fire, here let, let me let me give you a quick example. All right. Let me give you an example. I want to play a clip for you. This group will identify itself at the end of the clip. But I spotted this on Twitter yesterday, and it's concerned citizens speaking out about some of the cultural madness. Let's listen.
0: There is a war on children in America, a war on biology, a war on innocence. Schools are forcing elementary school children to share bathrooms and locker rooms with the opposite sex. They're encouraging students to question if they're really boys or girls, all while hiding it from parents. So-called health organizations are promoting experimental, dangerous, and irreversible drugs and surgeries for minors. Puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones, drugs never approved for this use, leaving young children sterile, infertile, and sexually undeveloped for life. They remove healthy breasts, wombs, and genitals, all in the name of radical gender ideology. Millions of common sense Americans know this is wrong. They know it is dangerous. They know it is crazy. Stop the woke war on our children. Stop the far left assault on our youth. Stop the madness. Stop the insanity. Paid for by Citizens for Sanity.
1: All right, so I don't know anything about this group beyond that one tweet, that one video that I saw, that I listened to. But that's an example of someone or a group saying, let's start a holy fire. Let's raise our voices. So how can you start a holy fire? If you're just tuning in, I'm not talking about setting a city on fire physically. I'm talking about lighting spiritual fires. I'm talking about getting truth out. I'm talking about agitating for righteousness rather than fleshly, carnal, provocative agitation, which produces no good fruit. So can you do it in your community? Is there an issue you can stand up for? Is, is there a need that you can meet? Is there a statement that you can make? Is, is, is there a stand of some kind that, that you can take? What can you do to bring about positive change to start a conversation, maybe you're in school, maybe you're in college, maybe you're in high school. What can you do? Is it wearing something? Is it bringing a Bible with you? Is it sharing your faith? Is, is it re- asking someone, hey, have you read this? Have you watched it? What do you think of this? Here, it could be as simple as sharing. Maybe I've written an article and you really agree with it. Share it in social media," You said. "Well, if I do, uh, yeah, if you do, there will be some consequences because not everyone's going to agree with it. Unless you just have, you know, you and and one family member on social media, other people are going to see it and they're not going to like it, and maybe have a little controversy. Okay, you're not sharing it for the sake of controversy. You're sharing it for the sake of truth. You're sharing it to get light shining in darkness. Maybe it's maybe it's a, a matter. Of, of, of your congregation doing some open air preaching and just drawing more attention to Jesus. Or maybe it's standing for righteousness, or maybe it's finding out how you can get involved in, in front of an abortion clinic in, in your city and make a difference. Starting holy fires. Blog, blog about something that the society is confused on, but you believe there's simple biblical truth to. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll give you an example, all right? I'll, I'll give you an example something came up the other day. I don't remember exactly what provoked. Okay. As as I trace it back, I I remember the the process, but I was in prayer and I just wanted to post something very simple on Facebook, right? A statement that I've made endless times over the decades. And I, I just said this when it comes to same sex relationships, there are many who argue that as long as the people are in a committed monogamous relationship, then it is fine in God's sight. That, of course, is ridiculous, since the union itself, both physical and emotional, is sinful in God's sight, and doing the same sinful thing with the same person in the committed relationship doesn't make it holy or right. That's like saying that as long as the adulterous couple is now in a committed, monogamous relationship, the relationship is blessed by God. Not so. May the Lord deliver us from deception. So, pretty simple, right? Nothing that almost any of you Listening could not have written yourselves. In other words, you agree with the vast majority. Listening agree with every word there, and you could find your own way of saying it. But it's it's pretty simple, right? Well, since I posted it, uh, what August 26, so four days ago, 6:11 p.m., so almost four full days ago, it reached on our Facebook page. As Dr. Brown, it reached uh, over 111,000 people. Uh, it had. Uh, more than 18,000 engagements. So either people liking it or commenting it or sharing it, uh, over 6.2 thousand immediate reactions, over 1.4 thousand comments. So that's that's a healthy response to something that we post, but it was just a simple truth, just a simple truth. I I saw this this meme and saw it last night. It's a picture from like, I don't know, 1950s, husband, wife, in their home in front of a fireplace holding hands she's in a dress he's in a jacket and tie there's a little girl in a cute little dress and she's looking in the bassinet with little baby and across across the picture it says right-wing extremism that's what it says in other words yeah get married have kids love jesus that's now considered right-wing extremism so i i just Po- I, I No comment. I just posted that on our Facebook page, right? Since I did, this was not even 24 hours yet. It's reached uh, almost 140,000 people, had over 21,000 engagements, and, and on and on. What's the po- just something simple to make a point and look at what it stirs. Nothing mean-spirited. I'm not attacking other people. It's not a political attack meme where I'm mocking someone. No. So, and I'm not saying do it the way I'm doing it. I'm just saying, for example, most of us have social media. Most of us can share something, can make a statement. A Bible verse. How about a Bible verse? Famous uh, Australian football player, rugby player, Israel Falau, uh, lost his job. I mean, big career, very, very popular, one of the greatest players in his nation's history for just posting that the Bible says this quoted verse. So drunkards need to repent. Homosexual, practicing homosexuals need to repent. This one needs to repent. With the scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, this quoted scripture, it's uproar over it. I mean, there've been legal suits and back and forth, etc. So I'm not saying try to provoke people to anger just get people mad. That's the flesh, that's carnality. I'm saying, let's get with the Lord. Say, what can I do? I own a business. I have this influence. I teach in a school. I'm in school. I live in this neighborhood. I'm on social media. What can I do to light a holy fire and start sparking conversation, thought, that can lead to people waking up to reality and truth. And then with everything, we back it all in prayer, prayer, prayer. We'll be right back.
2: The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
1: Thanks friends for joining us on the Line of Fire. Be sure you're getting our email updates and announcements of new resources and when I'm coming to your area to minister. Do that at AskDrBrown, askdrbrown.org. That's the place to go. Take you 30 seconds or less to sign up 866-34-TRUTH if you have a question about anything you want to ask me about be it cultural moral spiritual theological biblical phone lines are open 866-34-TRUTH okay one other thing I'd love to hear from you about what are some neat things that your own congregation is involved with that make a difference in your community See, that, that's another way that we can light a holy fire. You see a need. You, you see a, a real problem somewhere. And you say, okay, what can we do to help and serve? I, I've heard now of more than one instance of a, a local church seeing a need in their community, say schools and public schools, right? And some in really really bad shape i mean worse shape than we could imagine and you know with with high school where you have a, a special class for all the pregnant moms you know the 15 16 17 year old pregnant moms that they they have a class for for them and i don't, I don't mean oh the terrible even it's the worst evil in the world that their teenage pregnant moms just say a lot of needs a lot of needs a lot of broken homes, a lot of broken families, a lot of broken lives, all right? So they've begun to pray, Lord, what can we do? How? And they've gone in and said, okay, and I'm sure this is happening all over the place, but I, I just hear these amazing testimonies firsthand from people. Well, we went in and said, okay, we see things are getting run down here. And obviously the budget's not cutting it. Would you mind if we came in once a week and worked on the yard and, and planted some things and just began to get involved. And then, hey, any of these kids need mentors? Do they need someone to teach them how to cook or to play basketball? With them? Oh, if you could do that. And they start to get involved. And next thing, the door is wide open to preach the gospel. In other words, they know it's a church. They They know that these are Christians. But they're first saying, hey, we're just here to serve. And if that's as far as it goes, they're happy to do it. If, if that's as far as it goes, they're happy to just serve and give themselves and, and be a blessing in the name of Jesus because that's what followers of Jesus do. And if it's just a matter of feeding the poor and that's all you get to do and you don't get to tell them the rest of the message, well, at, at least they know that as a follower of Jesus that you cared about them and fed them. And then hopefully later on, they'll hear the rest of the message. So those, we don't say, well, if we can't preach, then we won't, we won't bring the food. No, not at all. We will serve. We just serve. We do it. I know some churches that go into areas and just clean up the area. They, they literally go and clean up the area. They say, okay, we're coming in on this particular day, and, and we, are, we are going to uh, it's, you know several city blocks. We're just going to clean and, and help you and, and paint, restore. It. We're, we're just from such and such a church, and we're just here to do it. I know one church, it's basically three times that, that they'll go in and they serve and, and have barbecues and it's only on the third time that they'll begin to share the gospel more. To say, hey, we, this is who we are. We serve, we love, we help. These are other ways to start holy fires. So I'm hearing now, and I know it's firsthand. I didn't get this secondhand or read an article somewhere. I know this firsthand. Secular schools, public schools. Reaching out to churches. I mean, I've, I've talked to the people involved in the middle of this. Reaching out to churches and, and saying, we need help. Would you come in and preach the gospel to our kids and get involved in their lives? Do you have young people who can work with them? In, in fact, I'm teaching some of these young people. That's how I know the story. We, we had a class a few weeks back talking about the need for revival. We ended up praying for revival, this is in Texas. We ended up crying out to God for revival. But what struck me was the degree to which the students were praying for the schools and specific schools. I thought, wow, they really have a burden for the kids and their communities. So they afterwards that I found out that those schools, the principals, administrators reached out to the church and said, you have young people that can come in and help mentor. And, and, and you can openly preach the gospel because they realize it's crisis time and something has to happen. Why not us leading the way? Isn't this the Jesus revolution of which we speak? We serve, we love, we preach, we operate in the power of the spirit. Captives are set free. Right, I'm going to the phones shortly, 866-34-TRUTH. The end of my book, The Political Seduction of the Church. So spoiler alert those who don't want to know how it ends, you can kind of cover your ears for the next couple of minutes. So uh, I come to the end of the book and, and I quote from Charles Spurgeon and, and Spurgeon, Spurgeon says this, he's, he's talking about William Wilberforce who lived from 1759 to 1833, a convert of John Wesley's ministry, who was instrumental in eradicating slavery and the slave trade from the British empire. All right. And Spurgeon said this, a healthy church kills error and tears in pieces evil. And and, and Spurgeon replied, not so very long ago, our nation tolerated slavery in our colonies. Philanthropists endeavored to destroy slavery, but when was it utterly abolished? So then you had people of goodwill, working hard to try to abolish slavery, but they did not succeed when was it eradicated here's what he says it was when wilberforce roused the church of god and when the church of god addressed herself to the conflict then she tore the evil thing in pieces i've been amused with what wilberforce said the day after they passed the act of emancipation he merrily said to a friend when it was all done is there not something else we can abolish spurgeon said that was said playfully but it shows the spirit of the church of God. She lives in conflict and victory. Her mission is to destroy everything that is bad in the land. Hear this again, a healthy church kills error. This is one of the things that burns in me to see you thriving and healthy individually and corporately. Then we can make a radical difference in millions and millions of lives. Here's what Hudson Taylor said. 1832 1905 we are a supernatural people born again by a supernatural birth we wage a supernatural fight and are taught by a supernatural teacher led by a supernatural captain to assured victory Boom. I, I wrote a little bit more after so I didn't read you the end end of the book but that's that's part of the mission of the church to, to help us to fight with spiritual weapons and not carnal weapons this way we can bring about change are you with me if, if you are not or if you're watching what we driving you could wave too. just one hand on the wheel wave with the other i feel all those waves and if you're watching on youtube if you haven't clicked the thumbs up yet click it go ahead and click it if you're watching on facebook send some love our way you can send out those little memes yeah let's let's spread the love spread the solidarity we go to the phones. Uh, we'll start with William in Wilmington, Delaware. Welcome to the Line of Fire.
3: Hey, Doctor Brown. God bless you.
1: God bless. Can you hear me? Yeah,
3: okay. I can. I I I I read a few, few a few of your books, and and the last two I got them my my signed copy and everything, so I'm a I'm a regular listener.
1: Great, great.
3: <laughs> um, I, I, my question is. The Bible says if you bless Israel, you will be blessed. Right? I believe that it, the nation of Israel will be blessed. But we have been we honor Israel. We have been doing that, and yet we, it's, it's, it's gotten worse and worse. Is there a correlation between that? Is that something that we believe falsely, or how does that go?
1: William, I do believe it's true. I, I do believe that God still honors that, that those who bless Israel will be blessed. Derek Prince said this. These are not my words, but Derek Prince He believes that you can trace back when the British Empire, which it was once said that the sun never sets over the British Empire, that the British Empire started to decline and and ceased to be the world power that it was when it ceased standing with Israel and and stood on the wrong side of issues with Israel. And in his view, as, as a loyal Brit, that's when the decline came. So... Let's say that it is true, and I believe it is. I've looked at it scripturally, that those who bless Israel will, will be blessed. Why, then, is America in such trouble? I'd, I'd look at it the other way, William. I believe this is one of the reasons that God still has mercy on us. This is one, or supporting world missions around the world, sending out missionaries around the world is another. Uh, fighting back on, on some key issues like abortion and things like that is another but we should have been wiped out because of our sin or at the least we should, should have stopped being a superpower many, many years ago, all the violence, all the sexual sin, all all the racial sin in our past and things like that. We should have been wiped out. And yet here we are still a superpower, still the world's most influential nation. So I believe God's having mercy on us here. Let me take it further. If, Donald Trump moving the embassy to Jerusalem was such a big thing. Why is he not in the White House now? I believe if he had simply become a more decent human being and if so many in the church didn't look to him in an idolatrous way, that he still would be in the White House. The The fact is that nothing is a get out of jail free card. In other words, Israel is, is not like this, this magic lamp and we rub it and a mystical genie comes out and protects us no matter what we do. But I do believe that God honors the fact that we have stood with Israel in a way that is unique around the world and that we have also done much good around the world and been largely responsible for funding world missions around the world for, for many, many years. Of course, that balance continues to shift. But that's that's my understanding. That's what I felt for many years, William, that these are some so we, of the reasons. So we, we still have a chance. Yeah. But- yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. look, we, we have a chance for many reasons. One is that God's, the, the, big, the most giant overarching reason why we still have a chance is the extraordinary mercy and long-suffering and compassion of God. That's, that's the biggest, biggest reason. But yes, there, there are tens of millions of Americans who want to honor the Lord, want to do what's right, and many are praying, and God desires to show mercy. Hey, thank you, sir, for the question. And I pray you really enjoy the newest book. If you do, tell your friends on social media. Everybody that got your copy of Political Seduction already, if you're enjoying the read, go post something on social media. Hold the book up. Encourage folks to get it. We'll be right back.
2: the line of fire with your host dr michael brown get on the line of fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH here again is dr michael brown
1: thanks so much for joining us on the line of fire boy i am encouraged every day because god is god that that what more do you need to know if he is your god if you're in right relationship with him ultimately in the midst of pain hardship difficulty irreparable loss, agonizing situations, outward hopelessness, what more do we need to know that God is God and that if we're in right relationship with him, he's for us, not against us. Ultimately, that's all I need to know. All I need is the deep assurance that God is with me. That That's all I need and nothing is too big, too powerful, too demonic, too discouraging. Nothing is impossible. Uh, and, and that's why, as I've often said, I always feel bad for people who oppose God. You know, there was a, a rally I've mentioned a few years ago in in DC. I don't know, maybe it drew about 15,000 people, maybe 20,000 max, an atheist rally. I think they were expecting a bigger crowd. But much of the day was spent, from excerpts of speech that I read, much of the day was spent bashing religion, bashing, bashing a traditional view of God, a Judeo-Christian view of God, bashing the God of the Bible. And I, I felt so bad for the people there. Because you know that this is not going to age well. That one day they'll stand before that very God, the one they mocked, and give account to him. And... In fact, there are plenty of atheists that are not going around mocking God. Simply, maybe that's you. You just don't believe he's real. You used to believe you don't. In a moment of crisis, you felt he abandoned you. Then you concluded he wasn't really there. Or You tried to believe and weren't able. I'm, I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying you're a hateful, mean-spirited person. am not saying that at all. I pray that God would make himself real to you and that your heart would be open to him. But, but the, the point is, the, the point is this, that that. Those that openly mock, and, and even if they had 10 million people or 5 billion there, I, I'd still, oh, I feel so bad for them because they're on the wrong side of things. Well, what if it's the government in power? I, I feel bad for the government. Yeah, yeah in, in other words, we know how it ends. I know it's trite. I looked in the end of the book. We went, I know that's a trite saying, but it is reality. We're going to be with him forever and ever and ever enjoying his presence and goodness in ways beyond anything our human minds can conceive without the illumination of the Holy Spirit? Shouldn't we feel bad for those that will miss out, that will come under judgment instead? Shouldn't we? I mean, I've been in many situations where short-term it's completely against me. Short-term, I got the short end of the stick. Short-term, I was misunderstood or I was lied about or I did something and someone else got the credit for it. Or whatever it was, short term it came out bad, and I just sat there and thought, I know it's going to end. I, I know when the apology is going to come, or I know when the record is going to be set right. If you have that confidence, hey, look at it like this, and I'm going to go back to the phones in a moment. But I, I want to encourage you, all right? Because we we get attacked enough and weighed down enough, and life can be difficult enough. So let let me let me encourage you, not not with falsehood and ear-tickling stuff, but with truth. One thing you're not going to get is your ears tickled here on the line of fire. All right, so let me give you this analogy which comes to mind. You're sitting with a friend. You have watched the Super Bowl. And let's say you are avid fans of, uh, okay, who, who played last time? Los Angeles Rams, right? They beat the Cincinnati Bengals. So I'm just going to give a make-believe scenario here. You and your friend are a- avid fans of Los Angeles Rams. And Cincinnati Bengals, that's the, the team you oppose the most. Right. So here's the scenario, okay? And you watch the whole game live. And let's say at halftime, Cincinnati was up 49 to nothing. And, and seven minutes into the third quarter, they were leading 56 to three. But in the greatest comeback in all of sports history, they ended up putting 54 points on the board and winning 57 to 56 in the last 23 minutes of the game. Okay. Now, you know this, but your friend doesn't because he wasn't able to watch. So you DVR would the whole thing for him so he can now watch it, with, but he doesn't know the score. And he's flipping out. He's, what's his attitude? As one score after another is racked up against your beloved Rams by the enemy Bengals, what, what's your perspective versus his? You're sitting there calmly and he's pulling his hair out. He's angry. What's with our team? How get this happen? But you know how it's going to end. Your attitude is totally different. That's what fuels my fire every day. I'm not consciously thinking about these specific things about the final results, the final, it's just a reality. Jesus has risen from the dead. God is all powerful, all good, and he's for us, not against us. Ultimately, no weapon formed against us will succeed. There'll be all kinds of casualties along the way, all kinds of suffering, hardship along the way, but ultimately in the Lord, what Satan means for evil, God will turn for good. Be encouraged, friends, be encouraged. All right. Back to the phones. Thanks for holding Lucas in DeLeon Springs, Florida. Welcome to the line of fire.
3: Hey, Dr. Rouse. Thanks for taking my call. Sure thing. Hey, so I've been thinking about the millennial reign. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to know, um, according to scripture and in your thinking, like, how do you think so many people will be able to reign on the earth during it if there's 2,000 years plus worth of believers plus the faithful Israelites from before Jesus if they're all resurrected? And, of course, we don't know how many were true believers throughout the ages, but I'm sure it will still be a tremendous number. And also, do you see the scriptures saying we will all be based in Jerusalem?
1: Yeah. So, uh, Lucas, these are questions that I've thought of as well. And first to say we cannot be dogmatic about this. We cannot be dogmatic about the future because the Bible does not give us All these specifics, a lot of things it does tell us, and we can be dogmatic about those for the future, some of which I just mentioned in terms of the the ultimate triumph of God's purposes. But specifics here, some of it is a matter of speculation. So let's let's theorize here. Let's just say that by the time Jesus returns, total number of believers in world history will be four million. Let's just throw out a four billion. Excuse me, throw out uh, a number. And let's say that the survivors of the nations that attack Jerusalem that will now repopulate the earth in the Millennial Kingdom, let's say that starts out with a, a billion, two billion. Who knows? Let's just all right. So there's going to be four billion people reigning and ruling over two billion people. Will we all be based in Jerusalem? First, nothing says we'll all be based in Jerusalem, and obviously, logistically, that that wouldn't be possible. But first nothing in scripture says we'll be based in Jerusalem. We could say that because there's not going to be sickness and death the way we know it today, because people's lifespans will be dramatically longer, because of health and flourishing, that the earth will very quickly populate in ways beyond anything we've seen, so that there could be tens of billions of people on the planet, and the planet will be sustaining people like it never has before. It'll be a paradise on earth. But to me, the key is that not everyone will have the same authority, that it seems that some of the rewards that Jesus gives and, and mentioning, for example, in Matthew nineteen twenty-eight to the 12 apostles, that, that you will sit judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and that raises the question of does Israel come into the millennial kingdom as a resurrected people or as the lead nation in the millennium. It, it, that's, that's a whole other question. But he does say you'll sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel in the regeneration of all things, which is speaking of the millennial kingdom. And in the same way, certain of the parables rule over 10 cities, rule over five cities. So it could well be that only a limited number are specifically entrusted with that authority. Now, Paul does say in 1 Corinthians 6 to the believers, you believers, you're going to judge angels. If, if you're going to judge angels, how can you not make judgments about disputes within your own midst? So that does apply to believers in general. But that's, that's my best take on it, that number one, the earth will quickly repopulate to numbers we've never seen so that it won't be that disproportionate anymore. That's one. Uh, two, there's nothing saying that we're going to be based in Jerusalem so we could be scattered all around the world. And three, perhaps more some will have more governing, leading authority than others. And because of that, uh, it will balance out more. These are great questions. We just don't have definitive answers because the, the Bible doesn't paint that picture in as great a detail as we'd like. And it, God's not here to satisfy our curiosity. You say, yeah, but the curiosity comes from what's written in the Bible, true. So that's to give us enough hope and enough expectation without filling in all the blanks. And to fill in all the blanks, God would have to give us a whole lot more information about a lot of other things, and it would end up that 90% of the Bible is just about what's going to happen in the future. But that's as best as I understand it. Some don't even believe in a literal millennial kingdom reading the same Bible I do. But that's as best as I understand things. Hey, thank you very much for the call. All right, friends, make sure you check out the website, askdrbrown.org, Ask drbrown.org. Check out my latest articles and videos there. Be sure to sign up for our emails so that we can keep you posted on everything we're putting out. And let's go light some holy fires for Jesus in our neighborhoods, communities, families, businesses, spheres of influence in the days ahead. God bless.